Well, Merry Christmas. It's hard to follow cuteness, but I'll do my best. So um, if you have your Bibles with you, uh, I want to encourage you to make your way to the book of Romans, chapter 3. I'm going to join you there here in a second. Um, we've been going through a series called Christ, as you can see on the screen. And uh, my plan, <laughs> which always doesn't work, you figure that out, right, when you start with that, my plan my plan was uh, when we got to I, we would be on Christmas Day and we would be looking at Emmanuel. That'd be perfect, right? Um, but God thought we needed some ice and some weather. And so we're kind of off a week and we're looking at righteousness. But you're going to see how this plays into Christmas uh, perfectly as well. And we're going to be in Romans chapter 3. We're going through this series on Christ, and we have an acronym here, and we're, we're looking at different names, attributes, titles of Jesus Christ. We began by understanding that the word Christ, when we say Jesus Christ, we're saying that He is the long-awaited Messiah. He is the Savior of the world. He is the one that God sent to save us all from our sins and the consequences of our sins. A couple weeks ago, we spent our time looking at the H, and that is the holiness of Christ and understanding what that means and also see how people respond to the holiness of Christ and how we also could be responding to that holiness. And today, we're going to be turning our attention to righteousness. And again, we're in Romans chapter 3. It's in the New Testament. Uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, and then you come to Romans. And we're going to begin in verse 21 and read through verse 26 this morning. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood, to receive by faith. This was to show God's righteousness, because in His divine forbearance He had passed over former sins. Verse 26. It was to show His righteousness at the present time, so that He might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Let's pray together this morning. Father, we thank You. You are a great, mighty God. We thank you so much for loving us. We thank you for giving us children uh, that are just excited about this time of year, that bring joy and excitement to our hearts and smiles to our faces. Lord, we thank you for this time of year where we just pause and we give you thanks for saving us, for loving us so much that you sent your son Jesus here to live and die for our sins and to rise again that we might be forgiven. Lord, I thank you right now here in this moment, and I pray for every single person here in this place that you would give us ears to hear, eyes to see, and hearts that would be willing to respond to what you speak to us. Father, let it be only your word that is said here in this time. Let me be an instrument of your righteousness. Lord, I thank you. You know each and every person. You know what we bring to this place. You know the frustrations we have, the doubts, the questions. Father, you know the excitement we have. You know the uh, distractions that we are dealing with in this very moment. In this time, in this place, I ask your Spirit just fall upon us. That you just engulf us with your presence. To shake this place and let us know that we've been in the presence of the Holy, Holy, Holy. Let everything that is said and done in this place be done for your glory and yours alone. In this time, in this place, we come to love you with everything that we have. To be transformed more into your likeness. Father, I pray this all in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. That's right. Well, hey, with these uh, 
six verses in 21 through 26, uh, many believe that this is some of the most profound writing that Paul was led to be uh, led to write through the power of the, of the Holy Spirit. And if you look through what Paul is led to write here, you see how he begins with the righteousness of God. He deals with the cohesiveness of Scripture. He deals with an aspect of faith and what it is for and who it is for, that the focus of our faith is in Jesus Christ and Him alone, that the results of sin in our life and the consequences of it, Paul deals with that. He speaks of of justification, the results of grace and the source of redemption and the purpose of Jesus' life, death, His sacrifice and the propitiation for our sins. The results of His sacrifice and the reconciling us to a holy God and reconciling all sinners to a God who is holy and perfect. And ultimately, Paul points to the justice of God and that's just in these six verses. A lot of theologians, a lot of people a lot smarter than myself have said, if, if believers could just come to understand these six verses, they would understand all of Scripture. But if we were to not understand what Paul was led to write in these six verses, we would miss some of the most important truths that God has laid out for us in His Word. Paul here is speaking about the work of Jesus Christ and why we celebrate Christmas, that love came down. God stepped out of the heavens. He was born as a baby boy, and He came down. And we celebrate Christmas for that very fact. Christ must. And we don't have time to get through everything that Paul has been led to write here in these verses, and we're going to deal primarily with righteousness. And so we need to begin, what is righteousness? Why do we need it? And how then should we respond to it? So let's deal with a baseline. Righteousness begins and it ends with God. Righteousness is God's act of salvation to make people right with Him. The first time we encounter the word righteousness, we have to go all the way back to the book of Genesis in the Old Testament. Now, my kiddos are in here with me this morning, so let's see how, how well they've learned some of the good old stories. In Genesis, in chapter 3, we're introduced to a man by the name of Noah. Anybody know what happened in Noah's life? There's a lot of water. What do we call it? He built an ark, and he built an ark. Why? Because there was a flood. There was a flood. Now, the reason there was a flood, because in Genesis chapter 6, the Bible tells us that every person, every individual on the planet had become corrupt. They had become wicked. But then we get this glimmer of hope in chapter 6 where it says that Noah was a righteous man. He was blameless in his generation, and Noah walked with God. Now, that word walked in Scripture, you're going to encounter that a lot, particularly in the Old Testament, deals with the way that one lives their life. And so what it is saying is that Noah was righteous in his generation because he lived his life according to the way God wanted him to live it. And this is before you come to Exodus where we're given the law. So there's not the do nots, do not commit adultery, do not murder, honor your father and mother. There's none of those. Noah is simply living his life the way he understands God wants him to live by the way people have passed it down through generations. And so Noah, going back to Caleb, what does is, what is Noah build, Caleb? <laughs> Does he build a train? Ark. An ark. There he goes, an ark. And, and, and just so you understand what an ark is, an ark is not this fancy cruise line ship. It basically looks like a chest, okay? And so it was, it was, the purpose of it was to float, 
And so Noah was set apart by God because of his righteousness in order that he might be a means God would use to save mankind. This does not mean that Noah was perfect. His first act that Noah did once he got out of the ark was to get drunk. And this set off all of the issues that we see in the world today. The other time that it's used in Genesis begins to speak about a man named Abraham. And Paul's going to turn to Abraham in Romans chapter 4. Now, Abraham is Father Abraham. Anybody know that song? Yeah, he had many sons. And you start, we won't do it this morning. I know that's the, put us all in the Christmas mood. But Father Abraham, he had many sons. Many sons had Father Abraham because he was the father of the Jewish people. And so God calls Abram out. He changes his name to Abraham. And in Genesis chapter 15, God comes to Abraham. Abraham is getting old. His wife is old. I know we don't say that our wives are getting old, but Scripture says that Sarah was old. Okay? Sorry, Sarah. But Sarah was old here in Scripture. Not that Sarah. This Sarah. She was old in Scripture. And God comes to Abraham and says, Abraham, here's what I'm going to do for you. I'm going to give you offspring. I'm going to give you children as numerous as the stars. And if you've ever been out in the country where you've been away from city lights and have been able to see the glory of God in the universe and the stars, it is amazing. This is what Abraham has experienced. God comes to him and he uses this illustration in the sky. Abraham, look up. There's no city lights. Look into the universe. Look into the galaxies. Look into the stars. You see them all? Your offspring will be as numerous as them. And the Bible says even though Abraham was old and he had no kids at that moment in time, even though his wife was old and was beyond bearing children, Abraham believed. He trusted God, despite his understanding, despite his knowledge, and God counted it to Abraham as righteousness. From these two stories and instances of righteousness, we can come to a conclusion that righteousness is living a life that is pleasing to God, which requires trusting God in faith. Righteousness is living a life that is pleasing to God, walking in God's ways, which requires trusting God in faith. It doesn't mean we're always going to understand it. It doesn't mean we're always going to know how it's going to work out. We just simply trust God at His Word. In the book of Romans, because I told you to go there, and we're going to walk through this, Paul begins Romans. He's writing to a group of believers that he has never met. This is the most interesting of Paul's letters because all of his other letters, he's writing to churches that he has planted. And these churches are starting to have issues. So he's writing to them really to deal with issues that they're having, whether it's within the church or sources outside of the church. But to the believers in Rome, this church started, we don't know how. And so he's writing them to introduce himself. I am Paul. I've been set apart by God for the gospel of Jesus Christ. I've been praying for you. It is my desire to come to you and to be with you that I may impart some spiritual gift to you and that you may impart some spiritual gift to me. Meaning Paul wants to be a part of them. He doesn't want to come like flex his muscle and like I'm the apostle Paul. He wants to join them in unity and fellowship. And so he introduces himself and gives a brief history or a brief uh, glimpse of his doctrine, his theology, what we would call Christianity. And from there, Paul turns his attention that we all are under the wrath of God. Because all of us naturally deal with the sinful nature, and because we all deal with the sinful nature, we all choose decisions that are away from the will of God, and therefore we all deserve the wrath of God. 
And that God hands people over who continue to choose wickedness over righteousness. He hands them over to their sinful passions and their sinful lusts. And instead of jumping to say, now this is why the world is, Paul jumps to chapter 2 where he says, but don't judge them. Because you, and he's speaking to believers in this moment. Even though all this wickedness, all this stuff is going on in the world that you want to shake your head out and be like, ah, I can't believe it. Paul says, do not judge them because you are just like them. You're just as wicked and you're just as sinful. This is the church he's talking to. And from that point, he comes into chapter 3 where he begins talking about righteousness. But in Romans chapter 2, he, or chapter 1, he talks about that God's wrath is being poured out against all ungodliness and unrighteous men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth and leads to chapter 3 and verse uh, 10 where he says, Therefore none is righteous. Not one, no one understands God. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat, or... Not even one. We'll stop there in verse 12. Basically, nobody's made the nice list, right? That's what Paul's saying. (laughs) And this is the problem, is that before a holy, righteous, perfect God, on our own, we are unrighteous, sinful, wicked people, the very best of us. On our very best day, in our very best moment, when we come before a holy God, we're unrighteous. We can't be there because Paul understood that God lays it out in his word that there is one standard and that is holiness. There is one guideline that we are to live by and that it is law. And there's one goal that we all have to obtain and that is godliness. But the issue is on our best day, we do not naturally seek after these things. We do not naturally seek after to be holy. We do not naturally seek after to live by God's law. We do not naturally seek after godliness. Because our natural thing is to seek after sin. It's to seek after self and to seek after pleasure and to seek after the things of this world. And this is why Paul says that no one is righteous. And here's the issue we all have. Every single one of us, none of us are immune in this room right now. Is We try to reverse the judgment. See, we, we know that there's things in our life, and everyone, myself, everyone here, we know there are things in our life that we are not proud of. We've had that moment, we've lost our temper, and man, we wish we could take that back. We've had that moment, we've said that one thing, and man, I wish I could take that back. We've had that one mistake, maybe as a teenager or a young adult, that has put a scar on our hearts, and we wish we could do it over. We all have these things, and because we all have these things, what we strive to do is we strive to just be good enough. If I just do enough good things. You see, the world lives by this standard too. We call it moralism or social justice. It's for the good of all. And that if we just do enough good things to people and we're just a good person, then there's no way we would not obtain good things after this life. But the problem is, is our unrighteousness is what needs to be dealt with. Before a holy God, the scripture says that no one is righteous. 
And it breaks my heart to say that I've done numerous funerals where I've sat with families and they've told me the stories about the individual. Well, he or she was a good husband or a good wife. They were a good parent. They were a good child. They worked hard. They enjoyed being out in nature. They enjoyed everything that they did. They were just a good overall person. And as I hear the stories and the proclamation and the testimony of being good, what breaks my heart is I never hear testimony from those who love them or closest to them, that their unrighteousness has been taken care of. You see, if your unrighteousness, if my unrighteousness is not taken care of, when this life is over, we're destined for hell. And since no one is righteous, and no one can work and be good enough, the Bible tells us in verse 20 of chapter 3, For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his being God's sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. You see, we all know there's things in our life that we're not proud of. We all have them, okay? Let's just, we're all a sinful mess, all right? And this is exactly what the Bible is saying. It's not to bring judgment upon us and to make us feel, oh, I thought this was Christmas and it was holly jolly and merry. No, it's to bring reality first. Look, we're all starting from the same place. We all have sin in our life. And unless that sin is dealt with, unless we trust God and God's love for us, we will die in our sins. And this is what Christmas is about. Christmas is celebrating that God knows you have sin in your life. God knows you wrestle with sin every single day. God knows there's things in your life you're not proud of. God knows right here in this moment your mind has gone different places and it's not focused on where he wants you to be. God knows that about you. But God does not send judgment or condemnation. God sent his son Jesus Christ, hence Christmas, because God loves you, he is for you, and he wants to adopt you into his family. He knows you're unrighteous. He knows I'm unrighteous. But he wants to give us his righteousness. Look there in verse 21. Verse 21, there are some two important words that we just need to grab a hold of this morning. Okay, we've dealt with, we, we already feel down in the dumps. All right, let's get that. Oh, man, I'm, I'm a sinner. I'm going to hell. No, no, that, that's what's just laying it out. That's not Christmas. Paul gets in verse 21. Listen, but now. See, we've got to come to reality that before holy God, we're all a mess. But then Paul goes in, but now. Now it's the turning of the tide. Now there's a change in the atmosphere. Now there's a change in the salvation story. Now there's a manifestation apart from the law, though the law and the prophets speak of it. But now there is hope. But now it's not about what you think you can do or bring to the table. But now it's all about what God has already done for you. He hands it out as a gift of grace to you and asks you to accept it. But now, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested. It has been made known. That's Christmas. That's Christmas. The righteousness 
God has been born. Gloria. Hallelujah. And what the Bible says is now that I understand that I am unrighteous, that I am sinful by nature, that I cannot live the life that God wants me to live 100% of the time, that I cannot reach the places God wants me to reach. It's unattainable. Instead of God saying, I'm wiping my hands of you, God says, but now here's my son. Here's Jesus. You see, Jesus was righteous because as we went back to the Old Testament, Jesus lived a life according to the word and will of God. And Jesus trusted God completely unto his death. And what the Bible tells us is that this righteousness is for all who believe. Look there in verse 22. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. And why is it for all who believe? Verse 23, for all have sinned. But now. But now God so loved you so much, He sent His only Son to die for you on a cross. If you believe and trust in Him and place your faith in Him, Here's the glorious gift of Christmas. God doesn't look at your track record. God doesn't look at all your sinful past. He doesn't look at my sinful past. You know what God looks at when he sees you? When I've trusted Jesus Christ, I've placed my faith in him. Even if I don't understand it, maybe I'm like Abraham and I don't understand how that would work. I don't understand how that would come about. I don't understand it all. God says, that doesn't matter. You just have to trust me and have faith. And when we do that, when we place our faith in Jesus Christ, you know what he does? He doesn't look on you as a sinner, but now he looks on you as a saint. He doesn't look at you as an enemy of God, but now he looks at you as a child of God. He does not look at you as someone who is alienated from him, but now he looks at you as someone who can come near and draw near to the throne room of grace with confidence and assurance, all because you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ and what he did for you. But now salvation has come. And God looks at you and you place your faith in him not in your wickedness and your sinfulness or my wickedness and my sinfulness, but now I come before a holy God fully clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. That's all he sees. That's it. I've been given something I do not deserve, and that's why right here in Romans chapter 3 it says, it is a gift of grace. Paul throws out one more word there. Verse 24, we are justified by his grace. I got a really cool quote, but for the sake of time. Justified, get this. Justified means just as if I never sinned. Wiped away. Like it never happened. Meaning if I do the simple thing of placing my faith in Jesus Christ, God looks at me like my sin never happened in the first place. That's a great gift.
how do we respond to it as people who have already accepted that gift? Well, this gift of grace doesn't, isn't a gift so I can continue to live in a life of sin. I may struggle with sin, I may wrestle with sin, but God gives me the gift of grace so I can live abundant life and live a life of joy and a life of fullness. And I cannot live in sin as a child of God and experience those things because sin is what killed my Savior. I just can't do it. I should wrestle with it. I should, I should just feel it in my soul, the Spirit telling me this isn't right. But maybe you're here and you've yet to accept this, and this is the thing. God is not looking at what you can bring to the table, and He's not looking at what you've done in the past. He's looking at this moment right here, right now, Christmas Day 2016. He hands out His gift, and He says, are you going to accept it? It's for you. It's got your name on it. It's from the God who loves you. Are you ready to accept that gift? The Bible says if you are, it first where we started, we have to admit that we're a sinner. We fall short of holiness. We mess up. But we believe that God loves us so much He sent His Son. He sent righteousness to live a life of righteousness that we could not. He died a righteous death that we could not die. And He rose again that we might now be clothed in righteousness before a holy God. And if I believe that Jesus did that for me, that's why we celebrate Christmas. If I believe it, even though I may not understand all the details of it, but I believe it's true. The Bible says I'm saved. I just need to make it publicly known. It's called confession. You confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. You believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and you will be saved. Are you ready to accept that gift this morning? We ask the worship team to make their way up. And as they come up here, if that's where you are and you need to accept that gift, I'm going to be standing down here in a moment. And I'm going to ask you just to come on down and just say, Pastor Mike, that's me, by the way. I didn't say that. Pastor Mike, I want that gift. I want to pray with you. I want to celebrate with you because the heavens erupt when one sinner repents and turns to God. Right here, would you be willing to make it known today? Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for loving us in ways that we cannot fathom on this side of eternity. And thank you for Christmas. Lord, thank you for giving us your righteousness, though we don't deserve it. Lord, help us as your children to live a life that is righteous, not to prove ourselves to you or prove that we deserve or earn our salvation, but Lord, just in response to your abundant love towards us. Thank you for forgiving us. And Lord, I pray right now for the individual here right now that is struggling and wrestling. They know what they need to do. Lord, give them the strength and the courage to do it. Father, if there's anyone here that needs to accept you as your Lord and Savior, and you've made it abundantly clear here this morning, let today be the day of their salvation. Give them the strength to walk down here. Father, thank you for Christmas. We love you, Lord, and let us show how much we love you in the way we worship you here in this moment as you invite us to respond. We pray this in your son's name. Amen. Let's stand as we sing.